mission today and, and about how God is a missionary. And so I just want to, we're going to start off, I want to tell you about my favorite missionary. Uh, and, and I'm not going to say the name until the end because I, I love reading stories of people. I don't know about, about you, but one of the things that's encouraged my faith is reading stories of men and women that have like taken a big step of faith to do something God has told them to do and then just to see how God has come through. Okay, and, and maybe you've been encouraged by that. You know, last uh, couple weeks, we had my parents here. Uh, my dad talked about how he came to know Jesus while he was in a maximum security prison cell. Okay, it's not a very common story. And then he married my mom on the day of his release from prison. It just did not look like things were going to work out. Okay, it looked like things were going to be horrible and catastrophic. Okay, but God came through in a really powerful way. And God has used their story to encourage a lot of people. And a lot of us, I think, over the last couple weeks were really encouraged by that, right? By, by God taking what looks like an impossible situation and doing something really beautiful out of it. And, and I've been encouraged by that. And so my favorite missionary, okay, um, was someone that was born into wealth and power, okay? Anybody wish you were born into just wealth? Anybody willing to say that in church, okay? <laughs> so this person was born into wealth and power. The, this, this missionary had the deepest relationships, okay? The love within his family was deep and rich and beautiful, like just an absolutely perfect, as perfect as you could think of a picture of family. He was known and loved by everyone. The place that this missionary was called to was dark. There was slavery, there was abuse of power, there was poverty, and almost no one knew God. In fact, the place that this missionary was called to was a place where most people resisted God. This missionary had to learn a foreign language, had to learn new customs, had to learn a new worldview, a new way of communicating, and many of the people that he served actually rejected his message. He was overlooked by the influential people of his day. He never wrote a book, and the very few converts he made during his missionary service were not well-known or very influential. But the long-term effects of his message transformed the world. Anybody know who this is? Jesus. Okay. Maybe you figured that out like partway through. But what I, what I want uh, to communicate to you is like that, that God, okay, and, and Jesus, by the way, Colossians tells us that Jesus is the perfect representation of God. So if you want to know like what's God like, what's the creator like, what's this, this being that created all that there is, like what's he like? Well, he reveals what he's like in Jesus, okay? And so I don't know if you've thought about Jesus that way, but when you think about Jesus coming to earth, like he left wealth and power and even privilege, if you will. Like he, and he had like, and when I say he had the deepest relationships, like God is triune, okay? There's, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God did not have to create other beings in order to experience love, okay? Some people teach that. Some people, they teach that, well, the reason God created angels is because he wanted someone to experience love with. The reason he created humanity was to experience love. No, like God actually had perfect loving relationship within himself before he created any other being. You know that? Like he is trying to Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the relationship within the Trinity is absolutely beautiful and filled with love. And so when Jesus came to reveal the message of God to us, he left all of that and, and did you ever think about Jesus as having to learn, like, a new language? Like, do you think that Aramaic or Greek is the language that they speak in heaven? 
right? You know, and it's weird to think about Jesus as learning something. Okay, in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus learning obedience through suffering. Isn't that a weird concept? When you think about Jesus, He's God, but He, he learned. So when He was an infant, He wasn't stringing along full sentences, right? Like when Jesus came out, okay, so at Christmas time, we always talk about the nativity. When Jesus was born in a stable, like He didn't come out and be like, oh, those are nice cows, right? Like, and why am I in this like fodder area with all the straw? Like, can't you give me a nicer bed? Like, he didn't string together sentences. He actually learned the language that his parents taught him. It's kind of a crazy thought, right? You think, well, Jesus is God, but he actually had to learn language. And, and, and like, the worldview that existed in the Middle East at the time Jesus was born, do you think that was the same worldview that existed in heaven? Or the way that power operated in the Middle East at the time Jesus was born? Do you think Jesus had ever experienced a corrupt powerful government that had all authority to do all kinds of things that, that they shouldn't be doing? Like, was that his experience in heaven? It wasn't, right? So Jesus came, and he was like born into a specific time and a specific context, and he came to reveal to us what it looked like to have a relationship with God. So we're going to read John chapter 20, and this will be on the screen, and we're just going to read verses 19 down to 23 today. And so The reason I'm opening up with Jesus as missionary is because Jesus has just spent three years with his followers, and then Jesus went to the cross, and so over the past few weeks, we've called it the the climax, okay? It was the climax, it was the pinnacle of the ministry of Jesus. The whole purpose he came was to go to the cross. He had to go to the cross. He even prayed, okay, if you remember Gethsemane, Jesus, before he went to the cross, he even went to a garden, he prayed, he said, Lord, if God, if there's another way for this to be accomplished, then may it be so, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And God said, no, this is the only way. So there's this beautiful picture of Jesus having a conversation with the Father, okay, and they are one, but they're also unique, they're distinct. And it was revealed, like the only way for Jesus to accomplish his mission is for him to go to the cross. So he goes to the cross. He dies on the, on the cross, and then he, he rises again. And last, last week, we talked about Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. And my mom shared her testimony very powerfully. She talked about how God had set her free from some of the, the baggage and the hurt. She'd gone through some, some sexual abuse. She'd gone through some physical abuse and all kinds of different things in her life, and God had given her freedom, and it, and it related a lot with the story of Mary Magdalene. And, and Jesus, the first person that Jesus reveals his resurrected self to in the Gospel of John is Mary Magdalene, who had been set free from an oppressive spirit, who'd probably gone through some similar things that my mom described last week, okay? And, and then Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, he says, now go, go tell the other followers, go tell Peter and John and the rest of them that I've risen again, okay? So now Jesus has risen, and, and, and the, the followers of Jesus, they're starting in a, little, in a little small way, they're starting to understand the purpose of why Jesus came. And he's going to unpack it a little bit here. So verse, verse 19 of chapter 20 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. I, I just imagine that scene. So like, the doors are literally locked. So the disciples are afraid for their lives. They're in a locked room. They're, they're not expecting somebody to walk through a wall. Like, 
theologically, like Jesus is saying, peace be with you because, because all of us can walk in peace because of what Christ has done. But it might have also been because he, he scared the life out of them, right? <laughs> like, like he, he shows up in a room where they're not expecting anything. I posted a video on Instagram this week, and our son, uh, Randall, he was like outside on the front stairs of our house. And so I like opened the, the kitchen window, and he was eating. So he was all like tucked up like this, and he was like eating out of his plate. And I was like, Randall! And he was like, and he just jumped, right? And then he was like, Dad, you scared me, right? But like, I imagine the disciples had a similar reaction. They're in a locked room. They're afraid for their lives. Their Savior, like the last time they saw him, he, he, was, he was crucified. He was dead. And they've just heard reports back from Mary Magdalene that he rose again. And they're all like, no, no way. And then all of a sudden, he's standing in their midst. It's no wonder he had to say, peace be with you, right? Like they were just, I'm sure they were jarred, right? So he says, peace be with you. And then when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Twice he repeats this. And and, and catch this, as the Father has sent, that's what the word missionary means. It means sent. It means to send, okay? So Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. So Jesus, he's telling his followers, he's like, the Father, so everything that you've just seen me do, these past three years, the miracles, the proclamation of the kingdom, people being healed, people being restored to relationship with God, like I did that because the Father sent me, and now he's telling his followers, he's saying, and as the Father sent me, I'm sending you in the same way. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. It's a really debated statement, okay? So what Jesus says to his followers, so he, he, as he sends them, he, he breathes on them, okay? And some people have taken this out of context. I, I actually knew a guy when I was younger that he would just go around and, and he would breathe on people. <laughs> no word of a lie, okay? And, and he just, that was his interpretation. He was like, well, if I want to give people the Holy Spirit, I'll just breathe on them. And so he would pray and he would go, right? (laughs) And just say, and I think God used that sometimes. There were some experiences with it where it was a little strange, but Jesus here, like he's God, okay? So there's, you see the Trinity here. There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jesus is like, God sent me, I'm sending you, so receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, it's Jesus, it's God that dwells inside of the followers of Christ. And then he says to them this really confusing statement. He says, so if you forgive people's sins, they'll be forgiven. And if you don't forgive their sins, they won't be. But you know what Jesus is? He's establishing the church here. He's saying, you're going to go and you're going to become the church in Thunder Bay in 2023. And, And the job of the church, the job of the followers of Jesus is to declare the forgiveness of God because of what Christ has done. Like, that's what we do. We, our, our job is to declare to the world this awesome message of what Christ has done. We, we are sent because He was sent, and He sends us, right? So that's what it means to be the church. And if we don't do it, people don't experience forgiveness. So Jesus, and, and I want to uh, focus on this, this first half. So in verse 21, He says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So, peace precedes the mission in the kingdom of Jesus, okay? That's really important. Peace precedes the mission. So, as we're sent, we're sent with the peace of Jesus. 
that's what it means to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. It's not that we don't experience hardship or difficulty or turmoil, but the background noise music of our lives is peace because we know we've been reconciled to God because of what Jesus Christ has done. So there's peace. So no matter what goes on in the world, no matter when we lose loved ones or we face financial difficulties or we face difficulties in our life that means we lose everything, the underlying background music of it all is peace because we know that in the end, all things are made right. And so, and this missionary God, and I really want you to, to think about God in terms of a missionary. Do, do you realize that God is after you? That, that He desires to be in relationship with you? That He's actually left heaven in pursuit of you? Like, this is really an important part because this is what gets to our heart as we talk about this. Like, I just want you to know, before we even talk about God's call on our lives to be on mission, like, you've got to realize that, like, Jesus left heaven in pursuit of you, Anthony, and Franco, and Ken. Like, Jesus left perfection to pursue you and I. He left everything in pursuit of us. He, the mission of God is to be restored to relationship with His people. And He is the initiator of it. Sometimes I think we get this idea in our, our heads that like mission is our job and it's this heavy task. It's like we've got to take this message to the world. But the Scriptures reveal to us, Jesus is saying to His followers, He's like, as God sent me, so I send you. But what He's saying is God sent me on mission for you. And so in whatever season or situation of life you find yourself in, be comforted by the reality that God is on mission. He's after you. Like the love that he has for you is beyond what we'll ever be able to understand. So the, what was Jesus' mission? Jesus came to restore humanity back to right relationship with God. And then to teach us how to live as people who have been restored to our Creator. That's Jesus' mission. In simplistic forms, His mission is to restore humanity back to relationship with God, and then to go further than that, to teach us how to live a life in, like, that, we, that has been restored. And so, I, I just want you to know, too, like, sometimes I think in the church, we, we think that, like, it's just important for people to surrender their lives to Jesus, ask the Lord into their heart, whatever, and then things kind of after that, you just kind of figure life out and do whatever. But when you've been restored into relationship with God, your creator, do you know that it actually changes the way that you think even about the earth? You know, it's a big conversation in the world today about creation care, taking care of this world. Some people have this theology that it's like, oh, the world's all going to burn up anyway, it doesn't matter. Like, as long as I've got Jesus and following him, then who cares about the world? Who cares about pollution? Or who cares about the things that go on in the world? But like, when you and I, when, when God's people have been restored back to right relationship with him, you know what we start to realize? We're like, God has actually entrusted us with care for this world. And, and, and our work, especially people, if you work in a job that you consider secular or not Christian... Like, you realize that when you've been restored to right relationship with God, everything you do in some way just honors and glorifies God, right? So if you're, if you're a carpenter, it is so important that you take your job seriously because what you do actually reflects your relationship with God. Like, I believe as a, as a Jesus follower, 
when, when we take serious the fact that we've been restored back to right relationship with God, it changes our outlook on everything. When James plows, it, James is plowing and it honors God when he does it with integrity, with honesty, when he treats people well. Like even jobs that we wouldn't think of as Christian, like when we've been restored back to right relationship with him, it changes everything. And that's Jesus' mission was to restore humanity back to right relationship with God. And then secondly, to teach us how to live as people who have been restored to our Creator. You know, it's interesting to think about Jesus as a missionary. Uh, because, and I, I want to give you this a, a really simple slide, and we could go into this in depth, but we're not going to today. But this, this is just in a real basic way. I just want to get you thinking about Jesus' context as a Middle Eastern man. And the reason this is important is because God has called us to be on mission, and we are in a very specific cultural context. But so Jesus, you ever think about Jesus this way? Like when, when He came to reveal the plan of God to people, He had a very specific language, okay? So He, most scholars believe He spoke Aramaic, and then His words were translated into Greek. So He had to learn the Aramaic language, and, and languages are really special. For how many people here that would be willing, like, English is not your first language. Anybody here willing to say English is not your first language? Okay, there's quite a few people, okay? So is it special when you get around someone that speaks your heart language? Like, isn't there just this special connection that happens when you get around someone who speaks your heart language and you're like, oh, there's a, there's a connection here. You're, you're more under, it's like you're understood in a deeper way because languages have a way of, of, like, we express kind of who we are from the languages that we, we speak. Right? So Jesus, as a missionary, in, in a Middle Eastern context, he, he came and he spoke the Aramaic language, probably spoke a little bit of Greek, but his words were translated that way. His, the culture, like, do you think that like, the culture in the Middle East was different than the culture of heaven? Seriously, do, like, do you think there might have been some differences in that? So Jesus is coming, and he's like embracing this culture, this Middle Eastern culture, which was very different than his own, uh, authority and governance. Do you know that Jesus had never experienced having an authority structure over him that was corrupt? Have you experienced that? Anybody? No? <laughs> okay. So he comes and he immerses himself in this culture. Theology, just the understanding of God was, was skewed. Most of the religious teachers of the day had a false understanding of God. And Jesus came and he was like in, immersed in this context. So I... Um, as, as we think about Jesus as a missionary, I just want you to think of some of the stories Jesus told. So a few weeks ago, we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan, okay? And so what Jesus was doing was, was his desire was to come and to be amongst people that were different than him and to reveal to them the message of God. So he told stories all the time. And, and some of those stories, you and I might have a harder time understanding them because we are not in Palestine 2,000 years ago raising sheep or, you know, some of the stuff that Jesus talked about. The principles are timeless. But the story of the Good Samaritan, I just want you to think about it for a second. Like, when you and I hear the word, the Good Samaritan, if you've been around church, you probably know what a Samaritan was. Maybe you've been around church for a long time and you just have no idea what a Samaritan is, okay? So, a, a Samaritan was like a half-breed, Okay, so in the time of Jesus, Samaritans were people that, um, they weren't fully Jewish, so they were like half Gentile, half Jew, and they lived outside of what the Jews would consider the Holy Land, 
and they worshiped God in a place the Jews said you shouldn't worship God. Their understanding of God was skewed. It was a little bit messed up. So when Jesus wanted to teach the context he was in about what kindness looked like, about what compassion looked like, he told the story of a good Samaritan. And, and he made the hero of the story somebody who would have been offensive to his main crowd. Okay, so the, the main crowd, the people Jesus was speaking to were Jews. And he knew that like most of those people, they had a hard time understanding what real compassion looked like. You know what the Jews were very concerned with? They were concerned with getting their theology right, making sure they said all the right things about God. And Jesus is trying to show them, he's like, your, your understanding is, is messed up. You, you don't really know what it means to actually know God and to behave in a way that God wants you to behave. So he tells this really offensive story about a Jewish man that got beat up and left for dead on the road. Right? And then Jesus takes the heroes of the Jewish culture and he says, you know, a worship leader, a Levite, was passing by, saw the guy, and just didn't have time, so he went on to do his duties. And then a priest came by, so it was like a pastor. Priest comes by, sees the guy, but he's in the middle of something and he just leaves. But then this Samaritan, somebody with kind of like a false understanding of God, somebody who is offensive to the Jews, this Samaritan comes by and he helps this Jewish guy. So Jesus asks the question at the end, he goes, well, who was a better neighbor? And the Jews who just... They couldn't, like, to even say the Samaritan would have been hard for them. They would have been, like, throwing up in their mouth a little bit, okay? They, like, they were forced to say, the, the, the Samaritan, right? And so today, when, when Jesus wants to teach us about kindness, I think about some of the people that would be most offensive to you and I if Jesus were telling this story today. Who, who are some of the people that would be most offensive to you that have, like, maybe wrong beliefs about God? Okay? Other... other Yeah, yeah, yeah. The truth gets people upset, yeah. So, so Jesus was like, he was teaching the people about what, what being a neighbor looked like, and he used somebody that was like an enemy of the people, okay? And you know what's amazing about Jesus? He doesn't say that what the Samaritans believed were right. If, if you study the life of Jesus, he actually corrects their theology, but in this story of the Good Samaritan, he uses somebody that was really offensive on purpose because he was teaching people about what it looked like to actually have a relationship with God. And he was doing it within their context. He wanted them to know, like, you know, having, having a relationship with God, it's more than just having, like, the right understanding all up in your head. It's actually living in a way that's transformative, that's kind, that's compassionate. It actually costs you something to show love to other people. And it was really difficult. If Jesus was telling that story today, I think he would use some types of people, some groups of people that we would just like struggle with to hear. And his message would be to, to show us what it looked like to behave in a way that honors God. So Jesus is this missionary that like he was immersed in, in his, his culture. And he, he had a way of being able to correct the wrong thinking of the people he was talking to in order to kind of jar them awake a little bit to show them like, you don't understand God. You don't understand what he's like, who he is. He was always challenging. And so you and I, similarly, like we're called. So Jesus, he says that he sends us in the same way that he was sent. So, so you and I are missionaries. A lot of times when we think about missionaries, we think about people that like go far away somewhere. Okay, And, and sometimes do, people do that. I've, I've got friends that are currently serving in Bosnia. And I met with them this week. And they were so excited to just be able to chat because they've 
they don't get to chat with people that are from where they're from very often. And so we had a really cool conversation. And they're like, overseas in Bosnia, it's a really, it's a challenging situation. They're trying to learn a new language. They're trying to learn a new culture. It's challenging. So that's kind of what our, most of us understand as missionaries. But you know that God has called us here in 2023 in Thunder Bay to actually be on mission. And our mission is the same as what Jesus was. Because when we've experienced Jesus and He changes our heart and He changes our perspective, He changes our understanding, our, our desire then is to, is to bring that to other people, to reveal that the best way that we possibly can. So we're actually called to be on mission, to be missionaries in the same way that Jesus is. I want, I want to read a, a passage of Scripture from the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to read it in the message translation because it's the easiest one to, to understand. Um, the message translation, by the way, is it's kind of like a commentary, okay? So Eugene Peterson, the guy that translated it, um, usually he'll take the, the passage of, of text that he's translating and he tries to put it into a language that we, we can understand. And, and so what I want you to see in this is that when God chose the people he was going to reveal himself to, he, he chose them based on love uh, and grace, not based on how good they were, okay? Uh, and this is important. So in Ezekiel chapter 16, starting verse 1, and this will be on the screen, unless you have a message translation with you, you can follow along in there. God's message came to me, son of man, confront Jerusalem with her outrageous violations. Say this, the message of God the master to Jerusalem. You were born and bred among Canaanites. So this is God speaking to the people of Israel, and he's telling them about when he first chose them, okay? Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, and this is a picture, so just he's giving us a picture of what it looked like when he chose the people of Israel. On the day you were born, your umbilical cord was not cut. You weren't bathed and cleaned up. You weren't rubbed with salt. You weren't wrapped in a baby blanket. No one cared a fig for you. No, no one did a thing to care for you tenderly in these ways. You were thrown into a vacant lot and left there, dirty and unwashed, a newborn nobody wanted. What a picture. So God is saying, this is what it was like when I, when I chose you. He said, and then I came by. I saw you all miserable and bloody. Yes, I said to you, lying there helpless and filthy, live, grow up like a plant in the field, and you did. You grew up. You grew tall and matured as a woman, full-breasted with flowing hair, but you were naked and vulnerable, fragile and exposed. I came by again and saw you, saw that you were ready for love and a lover. I took care of you, dressed you and protected you. I promised you my love and entered the covenant of marriage with you. I, God the master, gave my word. You became mine. I gave you a good bath, washing off all that old blood and anointed you with aromatic oils. I dressed you in a colorful gown and put leather sandals on your feet. I gave you linen blouses and a fashionable wardrobe of expensive clothing. I adorned you with jewelry. I placed bracelets on your wrists, fitted you with a necklace, emerald rings, sapphire earrings, and a diamond tiara. You were provided with everything, precious and beautiful, with exquisite clothes and elegant food, garnished with honey and oil. You were absolutely stunning. You were a queen. My kids would like that one. <laughs> queen. You became world famous, a legendary beauty brought to perfection by my adornments, decree of God the Master. So if you continue reading in this chapter, it doesn't end well. It goes on to talk about how Israel rejected God and it led to just absolute disaster. But what, what I want you to see in this is that, so God chooses 
this people, Israel, and when he's talking about them, he, he's not talking to like an individual. And, and we have to get this understanding as, as 21st century thinkers. A lot of times we read the Bible and we think about it like, what's God saying to me personally? God is usually talking to a community. Okay, so in this passage of Scripture we're looking at when he says, when you forgive the sins of those you go to, th- those sins will be forgiven. He's not talking about you personally so that you can choose to forgive someone or not forgive them, okay? He's talking about the community, his people. Same here. So God is revealing. He's saying like, when I chose you, this group of people, you were not really someone that anybody else would have chosen. It was, it was kind of gross, really. And he, and he describes what it was like. He said, then I called you. I formed you. I gave you a life. I set you up. And, and, and you went on to become beautiful. You went on to become confident. But then you turned away from me. And so it shows us, even in Ezekiel, like God is, he's on this mission and the, and the people he chooses to go and reveal himself to are people that would have been overlooked by most people. And it's the same today. God has called you and I to be on mission. And so when Jesus says in verse 22 and 23, and this will be on the screen, he says, uh, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the sins of any it is withheld. So you and I, okay, so Transformation Church, I, I just like, when, when I read this passage of Scripture, what I'm hearing is like, God has pursued us. If you've experienced Jesus in any way, you, you've, been pers- you've been pursued by God. He has gone after you. He has, he has like made you the apple of His eye. He loves you. He desires to be with you. And then He sends us and says, now I want you to go and take this love and express it to the world. And, I, and so when I think about Thunder Bay, like what, what's the language, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but what's the language here in Thunder Bay? You know, I asked if there was people that English is not their first language, and there was a few people in the room that put their hands up, right? And, and so there's many languages in this city, but you think about even languages like Cree or Ojibwe or Ojikri, okay, or French and English, and, and there's, you know, I talked to Brian Simona a lot, there's like a few main languages in India, but there's like hundreds of dialects, right? And we've got tons of people that live in Thunder Bay that have come from places where there's multiple languages, right? So when we think about the gospel, it's so important for us to think about the different cultures that surround us. And what does it look like to reveal Jesus to people? What are the cultural values in Thunder Bay? What is the dominant worldview? I'm going to put a slide up here. Um, Leslie Newbegin was a uh, missionary in India for 40 years. He's just an incredible man of God. Like, God is just like, the, the way that God used his ministry, um, it was the, the, the impact was profound. But he came back, after being in India for 40 years, he, he came back to uh, England as like, his thinking was transformed. And he started seeing his own culture, this Western culture, differently. And he started saying like, man, we have all these ways of interpreting the Bible that have more to do with our culture than with God's truth. And he describes what the church is supposed to be. He says, yeah, okay, there's, there's six here, so I'll just read it. He says that the church is supposed to be a community of praise in a world of doubt and skepticism. It's supposed to be a community of truth in a pluralistic society that overwhelms and produces relativism. We're called to be a selfless community that does not live for itself, but is deeply involved in the concerns of its neighborhood in a selfish world. We are called to be a community prepared to live out the gospel in public life in a world that privatizes all religious claims. Realizing, 
we are called to live out our faith in Jesus publicly for all to see. You know, we live in a world and a culture that says, no, no, like religion is supposed to be private. It's supposed to be just something between you and your small community or you and God. Like what Jesus is telling us, and New Begin hits on this, he says, we're actually supposed to live our faith publicly in front of everybody for all to see. A community of mutual responsibility in a world of individualism. And then lastly, a community of hope in a world of pessimism and despair about the future. And so here's, here's how I want to close this. I, I just, like, God is, I believe he's put a calling on us as a community of Jesus followers in Thunder Bay in 2023. So when we do things like Tim's and Tins at Christmas time, it's really important that we, we go and we show the love of Jesus in practical and tangible ways. When we do our services, like in the summertime, we do our services outdoors. And we just like, we live our faith boldly outside. We worship Jesus with all of our heart. We talk about the scriptures, and, and it's okay that it's public, that it's heard by, by everyone around us. There's things that we do as a, as a church that, that are really important. But also, when we leave this, this gathered place, I believe that God has each person in this room on mission on purpose. And do you think of yourself in that way as a missionary? And so, first off, do, like, do, do you see that you've been pursued by God? Have you experienced the love of Jesus? Have you been transformed by Him? Like, does that resonate with you? Have, you? have you experienced Him in some way? And then, do you live your life? When we gather together, there's some things that we're involved in that we do as a church that, that are so important. But then when we leave this place, that we leave with this understanding that we're actually on mission. In the same way Jesus was on mission when he came and revealed God's plan to us, we are on mission as we leave this place and we interact with others. Here's how I want to close this today, this, this um, last illustration. There's a picture up here called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, I was at a church planting conference back in March in the States, and Jay Pathak, I think I said his name right, he's like the leader of the Vineyard Church in America. And his sermon, it was so beautiful. So he, uh, he, he was talking about this whole idea of being on mission and, and living as sent people. And he said, and, and this is a room, by the way, there was 5,000 people in the room, and they're all church planters. And, and, and a lot of the speakers were, were like super brilliant. They had all these statistics and powerful things to say. And, and this guy, Jay, gets up, and he says, you know what I want to do today? He says, he's like, I just want to lower the bar, like really low. He's like, I want the bar to be so low like, that, that you're, like, you just can walk over it. That's how low I want the bar to be for you. And so he, he uh, put this image up on the screen, and, and the center house that you see, the yellow one, is supposed to represent your house. And he said, he said, how many of you know the names and stories of just the people that live around you? It was a super convicting moment. And I'm looking around the room, and there's like 5,000 people in the room, and they're all church planners. We all say we have a passion for, for Jesus and taking his mission to the world. And this guy gets up and he says, he's like, do, do you know the names of your neighbors? Have they been over to your house for supper? Like, and, and then you start thinking about your neighbors. There's some of them that you'd be like, I don't even know if I'd want that person over for supper. <laughs> okay? Or some of the people that think very differently than you. Maybe their worldview is different than you. Or maybe they speak a language that's different than you. Or whatever the case may be. But, but he was asking us to really like, think about it. He's like, do, do, we live, do we take the message of Jesus seriously 
And do we just invite people into our... We, we can't transform anybody. And so me, this message today, looking at what Jesus is talking about, I'm not saying you and I can go and, and force somebody to follow Jesus. We, we, that's like the Holy Spirit's job. But He has called us to be on mission. He says, right before He goes, ascends to be with the Father, He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Okay? Like, that's what Jesus is saying. And so do we actually take that serious? in our lives. It's a pretty convicting thought. I just, like, full disclosure, this image convicted me. So I was like, man, I, I was actually really glad. I live on the corner, so I don't have, like, the other side. Uh, so, so, like, my house is on the corner, and, and I know John and Megan uh, really well. On the one, so I'm like, man, I'm, like, doing pretty good right now <laughs> with, my, with my... So, like, I, I felt like I was a little bit left off the, the hook there. And this isn't, like, a religious thing. Like, do you know your the people that you buy coffee from or the people that cut your hair or the whatever, like the people that you're in relationship with that you know don't know Jesus, like are, they, are you involved in their life in some way? Do you pray for those people by name? Do you know their stories, their hurts, their pains, their struggles? Do you know maybe the challenges for some of them that maybe they speak a different language? Maybe they've had a bad experience with church or with God. Have you invited them in in some way? And so I'm going to invite the team to come up and we're going to close with a song. And uh, as we think about this, there's just two things to emphasize on this, okay? First, some people, you're here, and I acknowledge it at the beginning, some people are facing things in your life that even the thought of trying to show Jesus to somebody else is overwhelming because you've got, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't even know if I'm experiencing Jesus in my life. Okay, so to that, I I just want to say, Jesus' mission is to reach you. It's so clear in the Scriptures. He, he left perfection. He left, he left beauty. He left power. He left wealth to come and reveal this message to you. So if you're in need today of, of like being encouraged, be encouraged by the reality that like Jesus has come to restore your relationship with God. And if you've experienced that, He's also sent us on mission. And what does it look like to live sent. You know, we, we serve this missionary God. God is a missionary. You know, that, this, this idea of God as a missionary, it changes even the way that we see Him. And if He's a missionary, what that means in turn is that we too, when we become His followers, we live sent. We are on mission. God has called us to be on mission, has called us to be His people. Let's, let's pray, and then we'll close with this song. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. Jesus, you, you, you came and you lived amongst us. You, you spoke a language that was different from the original language that you would have spoke with your father. You immersed yourself in a culture that was very different from the culture of heaven. You, you, you came and you operated under an authority structure that was actually corrupt. And then you, you even pointed to those errors and you revealed to people what it looked like to live for God, to break out of that. Lord, you pursued us. And I just pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here this morning that just needs the reminder that, that they've been pursued by you, I just pray even now, Holy Spirit, that you would just speak words of love and, and grace into the ears of people that need to be encouraged by this, this reality, this message, Jesus, that you've pursued us. 
But then, Lord, would you, would you also wake us up to the reality that, that we live in Thunder Bay in 2023 and that you've actually called us to be on mission. You declared, Jesus, that, uh, that if we go out and declare forgiveness of sins, that people's sins will be forgiven. And if we don't, then those sins won't be. You've, you've actually given us your mission and you've empowered us by your Holy Spirit to carry it out. And so, Lord, would you do a mighty work in and amongst us as, as, a, as a church and as a community of Jesus followers that, Lord, we would actually live this out and that it would have a, a transforming impact on the city of Thunder Bay. Lord, we all are aware of, of, of some of the difficulties that we face in our city, in our country, in our world right now. But, Lord, we believe that you've also given us the greatest message the world has ever heard. And we believe that the message you've given us is transformative and it changes people's lives and it sets people free. It reconciles them to God. And, Lord, you've entrusted that message with us. And, and Lord, we, we are weak and we are not powerful and, and we need your Holy Spirit to actually live that out. And so would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us, Lord, to live as sent people. Lord, I pray that even now that you would put names in our mind of people that we can have coffee with or invite over to supper or take some small step that we wouldn't take this message in a, in a legalistic way and feel guilty for all the things we're not doing, but help us to take even small steps just to show your love and your grace, to be neighbors like that good Samaritan was that just shows kindness. He didn't even say anything as far as a message. He just reached out and he was neighborly. Help us, Lord, to be good neighbors that show your love and your grace and your kindness. And may that turn into conversations about you and prayer times where people encounter you. God, we love you. We look to you. We desire, Lord, to be a church that when you look at us, you're actually pleased because we're living the way that you've called us to live, that we would take serious your words and we'd put them into practice and that we'd hold each other accountable to it, Lord. And so we, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do a work in us and to make us more like you. In Jesus' name.